Pray with us as we get started this evening, will you please? Uh, Our Father and our God, we come to you tonight with grateful hearts. And thanks for being God, all you provide and how you orchestrate your perfect will in our lives. And Father, I give you praise that that my wife waited patiently on you while she waited for me to find your open arms. Will you bless this evening, Lord? Will you bless each man and each woman here with your truth, with your assurance, and with any reconciliation that's necessary? We claim it in advance, and we claim it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, We're grateful, as I said, to be here with you. Uh, That hurt. Roddy and I uh, are in our uh, 46th uh, year of marriage. The miracle. The miracle. And as the the story goes, three of those years were pretty good. (laughs) But, uh, But whether you've been married four years or 44 years, we're all in the same boat because the challenges are the same. We're all proud, selfish, and otherwise. Uh, my early years was a series of contrasts in a dysfunctional family. Uh, they, they had a family that loved me and oriented me to servant leader, leadership, but it was underprivileged in that it was never modeled for me. I didn't see what it was like. Instead, it was a process of self-discovery through activities and achievements, school, uh, athletics, church, scouting. For instance, when I accepted Jesus as my Savior and, the, and I was baptized at age 13, It was without any input or consultation with my folks. And I asked the question, isn't it amazing how we begin to develop uh, coping strategies early on in our years? Life continued, and with it came an appointment to the Naval Academy and the opportunity to serve my country during Vietnam and experience life in a wholly different way than I had grown up. I didn't intend to look back uh, uh, when I entered Navy, but on Christmas Eve, my plebe year, I had a blind date with a gal that would change my mind and my life. That would be me. My and so, pa- oh, you know, it's your part. <laughs> my parents were also a product of the Depression. They loved me and did their very best to see that I had a good life. But my life was full of contradictions, part grandiosity and part self-doubt. My dad's alcoholism was the elephant in the middle of the room that was never addressed. Yet I witnessed the effects of the alcoholism, the damage it wreaked in their marriage, and how it impacted me. It was the center of the contradiction. Hello. There we go. Because of my mother's controlling nature and my father's passivity, I had no sense of self, not a shred. I was a people pleaser, and my sense of self was just defined by what other people thought about me. On the outside, I looked like a gal who had everything together. On the inside, I was a scared little girl trying to make it look good. On Christmas and by junior year, this handsome guy entered the picture Bigger than life. We had a crazy courtship more off than on over the next four-year period. And when our relationship was off, I thought Dee was um, an arrogant horse's patoot. So with her in college, her in college in Kansas City and me in Annapolis, uh, Maryland, we saw each other maybe a total of 15 days over the next six months. Uh, before we broke up. <laughs> but 18 months later, she couldn't resist an invitation to come to Philadelphia for an Army-Navy football game. Yep. 
After two years of not so much as talking to each other, he called to ask me to the Army-Navy game. While his date was standing out in 20-degree weather from the telephone booth while he called me. Really? I mean, he left her standing there in 12 inches of snow to call me. I was out, so my dad answered the phone and took the message to pass along the invitation. When I got home from my date, my dad told me Dee had called and asked him to invite me to the Army-Navy game in late November. Against my better judgment, I went anyway, not knowing what to expect other than it was going to be cold. But the courtship began, and it seemed perfect at the time. Oh, my Lord, that was a long time. Okay. Eighteen months later, we were married, having spent fewer than two months together stretched out over four years. So now married... I moved away from home for the first time, and the whirlwind continued as he basically left me alone over the next four years. Deploying back and forth to Vietnam, I was six months pregnant with our first son the last time he left. We were adult children of alcoholics, blinded by love and clueless about what it took to be married. The prince had married the princess, but almost immediately our hurts, habits, and hang-ups And hang-ups combined to reveal themselves all too quickly. We were on a collision course to trouble and still didn't have a clue as to how it was supposed to look. Well, so six years later, I resigned my commission and we moved to Washington, D.C. Roddy wanted wanted us to move to Dallas, but her allegiances were split very, very clearly between her family and me. And the resentments were huge on both of our parts. By this time, to reiterate, we were in real trouble. With the move to Washington, I very very quickly began to lose myself even more. With one child, I was staying at home while detransitioned to civilian life, and try as I would, I could not make things right or make him happy. On Friday evenings, we attended prayer meetings at Georgetown University with some friends. I didn't recognize God's hand in it at the time, but while attending Georgetown, I became infatuated with a guy on the music team, and divorce was looming like a big storm cloud. Many years later, I understood that I was lonely and not feeling loved. My sense of grandiosity had kicked in, and I wasn't feeling appreciated or valued. I was looking for D to satisfy my needs, which was impossible. And he certainly wasn't getting his needs met by me. We didn't even know how to identify needs, much less how to communicate them to each other. Well, I'll admit it. I was self-absorbed. And okay, I'll admit that I was prone to dominate and manipulate Roddy, uh, usually through verbal uh, brute force. Not always. Not always. The marriage was so bad, though, that I was simply ready to cut my losses. I'd had it. But through seeds of scripture from childhood, I knew that God hates divorce. And I also loved our first son so much that I couldn't bear the thought of him knowing me as the quitter. So we tried everything we could think of, but continued with crazy behaviors, doing only what we knew to do. None of us can do otherwise. And so the need for a ministry like Reengage to study, understand, and work to know Jesus as the true center of our life and our marriage. With that comes new behavior centered on grace. 
Well, then God revealed a couple of things during this Mass. One, we sought godly counsel, not of the world, but from a godly man who deliberately taught us with Scripture and truth. And he taught me from Ephesians 5 that I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. A second the God thing, some 30 years later and long after the Georgetown Fair had faded, we made a very important realization with the re-engaged chapters on forgiveness. One of the outlined myths is that forgiveness requires forgetting. I think that's chapter 5. With, we know that God forgets and casts our sin as far as east is from west, but as humans we still remember. Forgetting is a myth. It's not in our DNA to forget. Usually in recognizing it, it's, it's, it, excuse me, recognizing it, it's usually about pride. Healing for us occurred when the violations became unimportant, not when we forgot. When the pain of remembering was replaced with transformed hearts and a healed relationship. When trust was its replacement and there was no place for bitterness or resentment. Not forgetting the grievance, but when it was no longer important in the day-to-day of our marriage. As this, healing, as this healing continued, it became clear that the Lord was finally leading us to Dallas to be near family. But with a much healthier understanding and the tools to manage the influence and challenges of living near domineering and dysfunctional parents. So for the next several years, I built a business, sought godly counsel and mentorship. But as a dog returns to his vomit, I return to my old ways. And I forgot Peter's admonition in his first letter, verse 5 and 8. That my adversary, my adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion waiting to devour me. With the material success of a robust business, my old friends, pride, arrogance, self-absorbed, self-reliance, moved back in. And I manifested self-destructive ways from seeking my own counsel. I did what I knew to do, manage my image and uh, try to be involved in ministry. Try to be involved but, my, but being rejected time after time, as David wrote in Psalm 22, my spirit was beginning to dry up. I had to find a solution. In retrospect, I believe God was using this rejection as, <clears throat> as a beginning of taking me to my knees. In the, cha- in the chaos that followed a few years later, we struggled with family addictions and drug problems, and we began a long process of recovery, making decisions I never dreamed we would ever even need to consider. In recovery, I attended Al-Anon sanctioned meetings twice a week where I began to feel it was where I belonged. I found myself with people who were struggling with the same childhood issues as me. This was before Watermark and our regeneration recovery program. For once in my life, I felt safe and I could be myself. I stayed in a 12-step recovery program for 13 years, and God used the program and a wonderful woman who became my sponsor to turn my life towards him. God performed a miracle in my life. I no longer was codependent, allowing my adolescent child to have control over me. I started becoming the woman that God wanted me to be, but it's a continuing process. By learning who I was and how to accept God's love, I began loving myself and accepting who I was in God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That in turn allowed me to let go of my fears and start loving others and getting out of myself. I began to set healthy boundaries around D, and I turned the job of changing him over to God, and I prayed a lot. 
But as the storm clouds abated in our family, my business came under attack, and I reverted to survival mode. Alone and without community, trusting no one and believing no one could either understand or cared to take time. My Tower of Babel was about to fall. The worse it got, the more I isolated. I violated my early training that two is one and one is none. And the very counsel of Ecclesiastes 4. Woe to the man that falls and doesn't have a brother to pick him up. With absolutely no community, sense of transparency, or accountability, I struggled to maintain my identity, my image, self-esteem, and financial well-being. I trusted no one, and no one offered. Slowly at first, and then at a very, very fast pace, and certainly not gently, God prepared and continued to strip me. About this time in 2002, we began attending Watermark when we were in the high school. I can't remember a thing Todd said, but I remember that it was the Holy Spirit impacting and moving in my heart. And as I yielded, God began to transform me. The darkest days were yet to come, but I stood on the claim that I was being held in God's very right hand. Scripture came alive to me again, and while I hated what was happening, and with our financial net worth just just evaporating, I had to reconcile that God was in total control, just as he promised. As believers, we're called in Romans 8 to be conformed to the image of Christ. Called, justified, glorified, and with it comes sanctification. A painful and sometimes lonely process. I also learned never again, uh, once again that never doubt in the light the decisions I've made. Never doubt in the dark the decisions I've made in the light. One key event was the afternoon when I sat with Roddy in our, in, our, in our study, and I acknowledged I was helpless, I had no answers, and I'd surrender to the Lord. He had me fully on my knees and was preparing me for what was yet to come. I had realized that surrendering to the Lord is not the same as losing. Instead, it's victory, a dichotomy in human terms, but the essential contrast with what we know as common sense. I've learned to pursue biblical sense, not which is common to man, and not trust in my own understanding. I love Jeremiah, and in chapter 6, he says, You're standing at the crossroads, so consider your path. Ask where the old, reliable paths are. Ask where the path is that leads to blessing, and then follow it. If you do, you'll find rest for your souls. Simply said, trust in the Lord with all our hearts. And so I committed to pray with Roddy daily, and, and, and asked her to join me in seeking God's will, and the old, reliable paths, that led to the blessing that Jeremiah promised. This daily prayer changed our life together, slowly but entirely. And so I challenge each of you men, every man in this room, I challenge you to pray with your wives every single day. And wives, if you won't initiate it because it's awkward or he's shy or just doesn't feel comfortable, then you initiate it. But that prayer must become part of your daily life together the most remarkable things will begin to happen if you're obedient with this. So we chose truth and the literal conclusion that because the Lord is in control, as he says in Philippians 4, we have nothing to worry about. Because of this, we can see almost everything with a lighter spirit. Specifically, we can laugh at ourselves more and more at the crazy stuff in our marriage that used to drive us absolutely nuts. The Lord is Lord of our relationship. Jesus has healed our marriage and our relationships with our sons. 
and he stands ready to accept yours as the next victory. The depth of our depravity doesn't shock him. There is no violation or problem too big, too ugly, or too socially unacceptable. And I am grateful that the body of Christ here at Watermark is fully engaged in delivering the love of Christ daily in so many ministries of life and recovery, and most especially in our marriages. Like you, my life is a work in progress, equipping me to serve the Lord. My role as a wife, a mother, a mentor, a friend, a teacher, a leader. I often tell people that I can't remember a day that I didn't have to work at being married to this big guy. Daily, I have to die to myself. Not an easy thing for an insecure, entitled princess. But Jesus is at the very hub of our marriage, and Dee and I are the spokes. We part daily, he doing his thing, me doing mine, but praying together daily and being open to the Holy Spirit's leading. My encouragement to you is to never give up. At one point in my marriage, I had a cho- maybe more than one point, but uh, I had a choice to move with D or call it quits and move back to my family. Our marriage was stressed to the max, and we were in we were miserable. The Holy Spirit informed me from Jer- Jeremiah twenty nine: What if you don't try? What if my plan is to prosper you? So I encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit as he communicates his truth to you. Pray and work on it, but work on the Lord to transform you, your spouse, and your marriage. I'm so blessed to be sharing life with the love of my life. I have a marriage I never knew could exist. God has restored what the locusts ate, as Joel wrote. The most important point I want to share with you guys... We said, and we did a lot of hurtful things to each other. But Jesus never stopped loving and pursuing us. Trust him to heal your marriage. Become a prayer warrior with and for your spouse and your marriage, no matter how you're feeling. He wants your marriage to work. And just as he healed our hearts and our marriage, he will heal yours if you allow him to. Ask you in uh, closing here, <clears throat> what if you don't try and thus prevent the healing, the reconciliation, and the victory? Of course, that's why you're here tonight, and why you're why you're either fully engaged or becoming engaged with reengage. But what if you don't try? Will your children know the blessings of your relationship with Jesus, or will they know you as quitters? If we had quit so many years ago. We would have missed the joy and the blessing of raising a family to know the Lord. And we would have missed the enormous blessing of sharing grandchildren and loving on them together. And it doesn't get sweeter. Success in our marriage requires commitment, transparency, and accountability. And we welcome the Holy Spirit to move, shake, tend to, and heal broken hearts and dreams, ours and yours. I trust that somewhere in here is a story, in our story are a few nuggets of truth that you'll embed in your heart and take home and dwell and deal with. Your backgrounds, your families of origin, the circumstances around the dysfunction in your family, the methods of processing, these are all different than they are for us. But your issues may seem unique as a result. 
In fact, there's nothing unique about it. We're sinners, full of ourselves, we're proud, we're arrogant, and we're selfish. We need a Savior, and a Savior that can put a salve on our broken hearts and heal these relationships. And we have one in the name of Jesus. There's no valid or worthy alternative to sanctification. This thing called marriage provides it. And to become more Christ-like. And finally, there's no substitute for a Christ-centered, vibrant relationship in a loving, productive, blessed ministry that we call marriage. And to the men, you simply must pray with your wife daily. We claim this and we pray your victory in this adventure. And then it'll be your testament to God's unfailing and unconditional love. God bless all of you.